Can we determine how much top carbon emitters owe other countries? And what's the US and Australia's newest climate deal about? Welcome to the Climate Recap from the Beckensphere Climate Corner, your go-to place for international and US-based climate news. I'm Becky Hogue, a science writer. Today is Thursday, July 14th. Let's jump right into the news you need to start your day. Let's start with some climate studies. A new study at Dartmouth College looked at how much five of the top emitters owe the rest of the world for their emissions. The U.S., China, India, Russia, and Brazil. They are the first, second, seventh, third, and fourth largest historical greenhouse gas emitters, respectively, according to a different analysis published last year. I kind of wish they would have added the European Union to this list, or maybe just like Germany or the U.K., just because that's interesting. Anyways, the five emitters owe the rest of the world about $6 trillion in damages. This represents about 11% of the global GDP. China and the U.S. together owe the rest of the world more than $3 trillion, the U.S. accounting for $1.8 trillion of that lost global income from 1990 to 2014. This research is important because it backs up climate liability claims. The study went specific, too. Like the U.S. inflicted $14.1 billion in economic losses to Bangladesh over the last 25 years. China caused another $13.6 billion to Bangladesh. The U.S. also inflicted $34 billion in damages to the Philippines between 1990 and 2014. The research also pushes back on the idea that this needs to be a fully international effort rather than focusing on individual countries. Certain countries like the U.S., China, and Russia can make a huge difference just by focusing on domestic decarbonization. Meanwhile, a different study shows that African countries will have to spend about 22% of their GDPs on climate adaptation despite being the least responsible for climate change. This easily dwarfs what percent of their GDP is spent on healthcare expenditures now. Eritrea is the most heavily impacted country, with climate adaptation expected to cost 30% of its GDP, which is about six times as much as it spends on its healthcare now. Adaptation comes in the form of things like building higher seawalls, capturing rainwater, switching to drought-tolerant crops, and investing in nature. These two studies together show why wealthy countries need to pay for climate reparations. Time for some climate victories. The think tank Ember found that EU climate plans are tentatively still on track, despite an influx of coal power to get away from Russian fossil fuels. Many European countries were taking coal plants offline to meet their climate goals, but they were still available as backups. And now that's what they're being used for. Ember analyzed where four countries increasing coal capacity, Germany, Netherlands, Austria, and France, would be in 6 to 18 months. It found that the added emissions in 2023 would represent about 1.3% of 2021's emissions. So, a pretty small amount. Now, obviously, we need this coal move to be as temporary as possible, but this is good to hear that it won't break the bank. But the EU needs to move faster on renewables, increasing energy efficiency, and preparing the grid to keep up with its climate goals. The U.S. and Australia signed a new tech agreement to try to decrease China's overall hold in the clean energy market. The environmental ministers call it a net-zero technology acceleration partnership and have put an emphasis on long-duration storage, the global critical mineral supply, and grid digitization. That's pretty much all we know, but it's good to see the countries are taking this problem seriously. 
Speaking of the U.S., Idaho's Transportation Department started its public comment period for the National Electric Vehicle Investment Program. It plans to use the $28 million allotted by the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill to put charging stations every 50 miles on the interstate. The station should roll out during the second half of 2023. In other Midwest news, Invenergy LLC announced it would increase a 780-mile high-voltage transmission lines capacity by 25% due to there being so much demand for wind power in the region. The line is planned to go from Kansas to Indiana, and it will be able to take 5,000 megawatts. The plan will also now boost its midpoint delivery at the Missouri Converter five-fold to 2,500 megawatts. The $7 billion project will be constructed in two phases. On the East Coast, Massachusetts released its decarbonization roadmap. It plans to cut energy sector emissions by half by 2030 compared to 2005 levels and the transportation sector emissions by 34% by 2030. This is all to get the state towards net zero by 2050. The plan has two main parts, electrification and energy decarbonization. On the electrification side, it calls for more EV adoption, reducing overall miles traveled, and utilizing heat pumps. On the decarbonization side, it sees more offshore wind and solar with energy storage. The plan requires all passenger vehicles and most mid- and heavy-duty vehicle sales in the state to be electric by 2035. The roadmap states it would make sure the transition was equitable for lower- and middle-income people. And we have to check out some climate fails. I hate to say it, but when it comes to the climate crisis, was Boris the best the Tories had to offer? Most of the 10 contenders that have stepped up so far are likely to weaken commitments to decarbonize the UK. For example, the Attorney General and the former Equities Minister have both signaled they'd ditch emissions targets in the name of energy prices. Even the most centrist option, Tug and Hat, said he would back clean energy, but won't specifically say that he would back net zero targets. It could just be an optics thing, but it's a little nerve-wracking. What's interesting is business groups representing Coca-Cola, Amazon, Unilever, and Lloyd's Banking Group have called on contenders to protect the net zero goal for the good of the economy. 56,000 jobs have already been created through the clean energy push, and the net zero plan released last year will likely bring another 440,000 jobs by the time it's in full swing. Meanwhile, General Electric canceled a plan to build an offshore wind blade building factory in the UK due to lack of demand. This is a little surprising to me based on how many plans were just announced last week, but also these plans are still probably a year or two off from actually starting construction, so that's probably not soon enough. It's a shame about the factory, though, because it would have provided hundreds of jobs to northern England. And in the U.S., a new report by the Center for Effective Philanthropy determined that while 60% of foundations and nonprofits surveyed said they found climate change an extremely urgent problem, only 10% of them actually prioritized funding for the issue. Only 11% of leaders surveyed felt their organization was doing a very effective job at combating climate change, and 4% admitted their organizations were very ineffective in this area. The survey pool contained both climate-slash-environment-specific and general philanthropic organizations and nonprofits. About 33% were climate and environment-focused. I have one chemical news story. A study by Planet Tracker reveals the top banks that are investing in petrochemical operations in the U.S. Gulf states. 
Over 7,400 financial institutions support the operations through equity, debt, and financing. They're led by BlackRock, Vanguard, and Berkshire Hathaway. The worst offenders for polluting the surrounding air and water are Olin Corp, Convestro, Valero Energy, and BASF, which account for 75% of the total chemicals released in that region. Places near petrochemical sites have a higher rate of respiratory issues and cancer, among many other conditions. If you want to learn more about that, I talked about places like Cancer Alley in a deep dive on the Bacosphere a little while ago. I'll leave a link in the source list below. Let's head back to the private sector for one more climate victory. Walmart formed an agreement with electric vehicle maker Canoe to build 4,500 pill-shaped delivery vehicles. Walmart has pledged to beat net zero emissions by 2040. And that was your climate news for Thursday, July 14th. If you like the work I do, please follow this podcast, give it a five-star rating, leave a review, and consider checking out the Becosphere Climate Corner YouTube channel. Remember to talk about the climate crisis every single day and to support your local news organizations. Bye for now.